When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, and welcome to The Short Stuff. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and uh, Dave Coustan, the producer, is here in spirit, but not really. He'll hear this eventually, and I'll bet he just got a warm feeling from the shout-out. Uh, and since I said all that, it's short stuff, so let's go. Adios. Yeah, and you want to really mess with people's sense of time and space? Yes. I'm picking NECA wafers out of my teeth as we record this, and I'm, that should be a little hint. I'm actually <laughs> refraining from eating one right now. Oh, really? You're trying, But you want to. I do. I kind of like NECA <laughs> wafers now. I mean, I'm not uh, <laughs> crazy for them, but I do like them, Chuck. All right, so this is um, this is part of our Black History Month content a very cool story about the Freedom House Ambulance Service. Yes. Which, uh, you know, we did – did we do one on EMTs or ambulances or what was the name of that? Paramedics? We did one on paramedics. We've done one on CPR, which is I think where Dr. Peter Safar's name came sure. from. Spoiler. Um, we've done one on uh, uh, medical stand-ins. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Remember practice patients? Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't believe we did an episode on that. It's like one of the most obscure <laughs> things that exists. But this one, I knew nothing about this. And then as I was researching, I was like, oh, 99% Invisible did one. They're basically oh, like our, our Simpsons did it to, yeah. f- to our South Park, basically. It's crazy. Rome, R- Roman's always one step ahead of us. He is. I was looking up um, the Mojave phone booth. You ever heard of that? No, but I'm sure Roman knows everything about it. He does. He does. It's like, why even do a short stuff on it now? Because there's a 99% Invisible. But this one, I, I would say, go listen to the 99% Invisible episode. I haven't heard it yet, but I'm sure it's quite good. This is still worth talking about here, too. Yeah. And it also uh, really highlights our long uh, motto, WWRMD, what would Roman Mars do? <laughs> That's right. He would talk about the Freedom House Ambulance Services, which is one of the most astounding origin stories I've ever heard in my entire life. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty easy to think about the fact that you call an ambulance today and someone's going to show up that actually knows how to save your life. Um, But it wasn't that long ago, as recently as 50 years, that ambulances were sort of like taxi vans Mm -hmm. that would show up and drive you as fast as they could to the hospital. If you're lucky. And hope that you weren't, yeah, hope that you wouldn't die. Um, and that changed between um, 1967 and 1975 when a low-income neighborhood in Pittsburgh, the Hill District, yeah. launched an ambulance service that actually featured trained uh, gentlemen. They, I don't think there were any women as a part of this first run, but uh, trained gentlemen that could actually help save your life before and as they took you to the hospital. Yes. So, like the— the history of EMTs, of paramedics, of emergency medical services, of this idea of an ambulance staffed with people who knew how to um, to perform life-saving procedures and had equipment in their car that could help them perform life-saving procedures started out in a traditionally black, low-income community in Pittsburgh. And the first EMTs were young members of this community. 
that's where it all came from. Everything we understand about paramedics today uh, that had nothing to do with military um, medicine came from this, which I just am astounded by. I think it's so cool. It's awesome. Uh, and also, like, terrible that we didn't even know about this when we did the uh, the EMT episode. I thought so, too. Like, that's how little known it is. Yeah, so, even we hadn't heard of it. Right. <laughs> I'm sure Roman knew. Yeah, of course. Uh, so in 19, like he probably listened to that episode and was like, huh, that's weird that the guys didn't talk about the Freedom House. He was probably more like, why do I even listen to these two? <laughs> I don't think he does anymore. Probably Maybe someone not. He'll never hear about, about this. this yeah. <laughs> um, so Pittsburgh Hills, uh, Hill District in the 1960s uh, was a place where if you, and this is just like so many um, African-American communities back then, mm-hmm. and even still today, if you called an ambulance, you were lucky if one came at all, much less on time. And in 1967, the uh, Freedom House Enterprises opened up. It was a community agency. Uh, they focused on employment, uh, trying to raise employment, trying to get uh, voting rights mm-hmm. um, installed. And this sort of dovetailed with a guy named uh, Phil Holland, who was a social reformer there. And he was like, this is this is unacceptable that we don't have – a reliable ambulance service in this community. And we have all these guys around that people are saying aren't employable at all. And why don't we get them and train them up and put them in these vans? Yeah, which again, like this isn't just some guy being like, oh, you know, it'd be cool is if we staffed a paramedic service um, from members of the community to serve this, you know, underserviced community or underserved community. It's totally different. Um they, like he also created paramedics out of out of thin air too. It was like a two part creation, and mm-hmm. luckily for this whole project, there was an a, a anesthesiologist from Austria named Dr. Peter Safar, who again has probably made multiple appearances in some of these episodes. But he's the guy basically who created the concept of civilian paramedics out of thin air. He he said, "Look, we need to figure out how to take." these life-saving procedures that we perform in the ER that actually work and get them out into the streets and ideally into the ambulances so that you're not just sitting laying there hoping that you get to the ER before you die. Like, they're actually working on you as you're making your way to the ER. So him, combined with this idea to create this paramedic service in the Hill District, combined to create the Freedom House Ambulance Service. And again, they picked from the community, the local community, to serve the, uh, their own community. I think this is so cool. All right, let's take a break. Okay. And uh, we'll be back right after this. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, 
Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. All right. So Dr. Peter Safar, uh, Peter? Peter Safar <laughs> has said, hey, CPR is not that difficult. We mm-hmm. like we should teach people to do this stuff. He's like, eventually there's going to be a song called Staying Alive. It's going to make it even <laughs> easier. <laughs> That's right. Uh, there was a man, um, there's a man named Gene Starzynski, a uh, Pittsburgh native and former paramedic who directed a documentary about 10 or 11 years ago called Freedom House, colon, Street Saviors. Mm-hmm. And he said that these uh, these guys that they got off the streets were like, some of them were drug addicts. Some of them were uh, veterans, uh, war veterans, who had maybe had a little bit of medic training. But a lot of them were guys that were struggling on the streets to get by. And this was a chance to uh, to get like a real – and not only a job that like – that actually paid a good – you know, a decent wage, a living wage – but a job that actually had a real impact on the community. Yeah. So like a guy named George McCary, um, he was 20 at the time, and his grandma said, look, you either need to get a job or go to school or you have to leave. You just can't. There's no free ride love, love here grandma. any longer. <laughs> um, and he had heard about the Freedom Freedom House um, and that they were looking for uh, volunteers um, or employees, I guess is what, what they would be yeah. called. Um, and he didn't even know it was for – medical services. He he just knew that they were looking to hire people. So he went down uh, and showed up and started getting trained. Um, and the way that he, he described it is, it, is, it was like a, a real genuine ragtag group at first. But under the guidance of Dr. Safar um, and this kind of vision toward creating paramedics, like these guys were trained in life-saving procedures. They went from like zero to, you know, lifesavers over the course of, you know, basically a first year. Dr. Safar yeah. created a, a, a orientation course that lasted a year, required 160 hours of hands-on training, took them to the morgue to see autopsies, had them basically uh, assist in operating rooms in the ER department to give them like real world um, uh, experience in this. Yeah, they had to train for six weeks in hospitals in the emergency room and operating rooms, ICU. Uh, there was another man named John Moon as another great example of someone who um, really, really flourished in this new role. Uh, he said that he was kind of turned on by the glamour of it all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, I think it was sort of a, I don't know, is prestige the right word? I got that impression big time. I think um, John Moon in particular was like, 
he would notice like the the ambulance kind of driving by, and I, I get the impression that the the this uh, Freedom House ambulance service had a a really golden reputation in the yeah. community, and they were kind of viewed as you know um, everyday heroes in the community. So I would guess there was definitely a lot of aspiration for for people or inspiration, maybe both. Uh, one of the the bad or sad things about it all is even though there were cases where patients were saved by CPR, uh, there was one call where they actually had to intubate a patient where they, you know, put that tube down the throat to get someone breathing again. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times the emergency room was like, oh, my God, this is amazing that you did this. But a lot of times they actually weren't welcome. Um, and they were looked at as sort of like, you guys are just drivers. You are not doctors or nurses. You right. shouldn't be getting involved. This was, and I'm not defending them, but this is sort of before that was a real thing. So I'm sure they were like, what is going on? You can't have these guys that you pull off the street actually getting involved in our business. Yeah. And I think like um, the the ambulance drivers would be like, oh, um, okay, you're going to re-intubate them? And they would say, no, right. this is good. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's pretty good. But the, the, so there does seem to be like, um, just like there is in like a restaurant where the back of the house and the front of the house, there's always tension like that. Or mm. whenever somebody's stepping on somebody else's turf, like a Basil Brown versus the British Museum kind of thing, um, there there's going to be resentment and mistreatment, especially if the people are from a lower socioeconomic class or a racial minority. They're going to get mistreated. But it seems like overall, especially in the Hill District, these guys were viewed rightly so as heroes. So, as with just about any um, story in American history where um, black Americans or any minority groups as they take matters into their own hands and, and become successful at it, it gets taken away from them and, and broadcast onto the larger uh, community at their expense, usually. Yeah, and this happened in the form of uh, saving a boy who was hit by a bus. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was in a more affluent area. The ambulance was called there from the Freedom House. And... Um, They basically, I mean, they helped this kid out. They splinted his leg. They started an IV. Word got around. And then these white residents in the more affluent neighborhoods were like, this is amazing. Uh, You know, they weren't like, wait a minute. Why were these African-Americans like treating my son? Mm -hmm. They're like, this is amazing. They did a great job. We want our own services like that in our neighborhood too. The Hill District shouldn't be the only one getting this. Mm -hmm. And so the city of Pittsburgh said, yeah, you know what? You're right. We should have the citywide we're going to launch our own service. Uh, it's 1975. It's overdue. Um, the really bad part about all this, I think you probably see where this is going, is it cut off the contract with Freedom House. Right. They lost most of their funding because now it was this big official city program. And they had the nerve to tell the Freedom House workers, hey, you can still work for us. You've been doing this for a while now, and you're super trained, but you got to go back and get retrained by our criteria. Yeah, despite all of the experience, years and years and years of experience. I mean, these these guys were working from 1968, and this happened in 1975. You had to go back and, and retrain, even though you're the original paramedics that all this is based on. And, and Freedom House losing its contract with the city was a little more insidious than that, um, from what I saw. There was a mayor named Joe Flaherty, and he always kind of balked at the idea of funding Freedom House. But when he got the opportunity to, when um, more affluent and more white neighborhoods said they want their own and they created a citywide EMS service, um, 
To him, that meant seizing the assets of Freedom House, freezing any funds going their way, and then using those funds and those assets to create this larger citywide version, rather than just increasing the funding and widening the jurisdiction of Freedom House, who were already good at it and knew what they were doing. He shut it down and started a basically a white version of it. That's right. Uh, not to be confused with SETV great Joe Flaherty <laughs> and uh, and <laughs> – Freaks and Geeks father, right. beloved Freaks and Geeks father, Joe Flaherty. So great. And he was uh, the crazy guy in Happy Gilmore who used That's to right. heckle Happy. Uh, so the end of the Freedom House was very sad, but um, some of these uh, workers did end up working for a long time and have really long careers with the city of Pittsburgh in their official service. Uh, John Moon, who we referenced earlier, um, worked for 35 years in the EMS department, eventually was assistant chief uh, before he retired in 2009. Uh, there was another man named Mitchell Brown. He was an EMS uh, commissioner in Cleveland, Ohio, mm-hmm. uh, and then ran the Department of Public Safety in Columbus, Ohio, yeah. all because of his start at the Freedom House. Isn't that cool? I mean, these guys were just like hanging around looking for jobs, and all of a sudden, you know, decades later, they have enough experience that they're running um, public safety in an entire city. That's just so cool to me. Yeah, and because it's so little uh, known, uh, Pittsburgh finally has installed a couple of plaques uh, commemorating their work, um, one in the actual Hill District and one in the Presbyterian University Hospital. Mm -hmm. And then Moon, who we mentioned, um, he lobbied for a long time and was finally successful in getting Freedom House medallions placed on the side of every ambulance in the city of Pittsburgh. Which is pretty cool. And there was awesome. there was a woman involved. Um, her name was Nancy Carolyn. She took over from Safar uh, for oversight of the uh, ambulance service, the Freedom House ambulance, uh, in That's 1973. Great. And apparently lived, ate, and breathed Freedom House ambulance services. So I love it. Yeah. Uh, you got anything else? Yeah, nothing else. Just Roman Mars. Yeah, that's right. Uh, well, then I have one thing to say. Short covers out. <laughs> I like the orange one. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.